Did all you guys uh, watch the Olympics last summer? You guys like the Olympics? Um, I love to watch the Olympics. I didn't get to watch any of them this year because uh, I don't have access to uh, that telecast. I really missed it. I love the Olympics. Um, I just do. You know, it's not an accident, uh, by accident, that that marathon runner ascends the uh, medal platform and, and they put that gold medal around his neck. You know, it's not an accident, right? Because that's what his whole life has been about. I mean, these Olympic athletes, for them to, to get to that place and be awarded that high honor, um, it's pretty much who they are. It's uh, their whole life. Uh, it's not a serendipitous event. Do all of you know what the word serendipitous means? Love that word. It's a great word. Debbie, how would you say that in Italian? Yeah, no, you don't know. Okay. Um, <clears throat> serendipitous, it means, good, it means uh, finding good fortune unexpectedly. Um, running into good fortune uh, unexpectedly. That's what, the, that's what the definition would be. How would you say that? Is there a word for that in Italian? Uh, you know, uh, finding, something, finding something not sought for. Finding something not sought for. And uh, so uh, standing on that medal platform and receiving that gold medal, that's not an unforeseen, unplanned, unexpected, unanticipated uh, uh, piece of good fortune. This guy, has been, this guy or this, this woman has been working for that for most of their life to be able to stand and be uh, decorated as a, an Olympic athlete. It is not an accident. Um, these kinds of words describe that kind of, that kind of uh, mindset. These kinds of athletes are focused, they're disciplined, they're tireless, they're driven, they're motivated, they're hardworking, they're determined, they're single-minded, they're obsessed, they're resolute, and they're unwavering. Uh, anybody got a clue where I'm going with this? Is that how you're living your Christian life? Could those words be used of you in regard to your Christian life? You know, this marathon runner, while his friends were eating and drinking and making merry, what was he doing? He was running. He was always running. And the Lord uses this metaphor of running in the Scriptures. You guys probably know this. Uh, he uses this metaphor to uh, illustrate the Christian life. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, I run with an aim. What does Paul run? What is his aim? Anybody know? What? To win. Paul says, I run with an aim. I'm not just jogging around the track. I'm running to win. I'm not just meandering through life. I'm running to win. I run to the Bema seat. I'm running to the Bema seat. That's where my award platform is. I'm running there. I'm seeing that day. I work for that day. I live for that day. That I will stand before my awesome God and my awesome Savior. You guys know the great exhortation in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. You know, Hebrews 11 God defines faith and then He illustrates faith. He says, hey, this is what biblical faith really is. This is what it really looks like. And He gives us an avalanche of illustrations. All of these men and women who were uh, living their faith huge. And then you get to chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and God says, therefore, why, I want you to live this way too. They did it. I want you to do it. I want you to live like these men and women. This is real faith. This is real faith. And then you go down there and he says this. He says, God says, I want you to run. Does anybody know how he finishes that sentence? 
Run with what? Perseverance with endurance. Run with endurance. The race that is set before you. Again, back to the Olympic metaphor, back to the Olympic analogy. Those athletes end up there and they're awarded their prize because they have worked hard. They have been driven. They have focused on this. They've dreamt about this. They've, they've lived this. Hey, are you living it? Are you, is your life, are you pointing toward the beam seat, the judgment seat of Christ? I think God is telling us this is what Christians are to do. We're not to, you know, be focused on, yes, we have temporal concerns, and yes, we can focus on those, but preeminently, preeminently we are focusing on the Bema seat. We'll talk more about that. Now, this word in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, that's, that's uh, translated race, you know, it, run the race with endurance that is set before you. It's the Greek word uh, agon, and it's, it's the, it's the uh, word that is the root of the English word agony. So do you understand what God is saying to you? As I've said to you so many times, I love this quote of John MacArthur, um, you know, Christianity is not a run through the park with a bouquet of balloons. It's not that. Read your Bible. It's not that. It's never been that. And if you look at this word, this Greek word translated in other places in the Bible, it carries the meaning of conflict and fight, to have to fight, to contend, to struggle, to be in a battle. So contrary to the uh, false prosperity gospel preachers and the others who dumb Christianity down to the point where all it is is church membership or, or uh, church attendance, God says that uh, Christianity is, is much bigger than that. In fact, Christianity, rightly understood and rightly lived, is a consuming endeavor. <laughs> it is a consuming endeavor. And let me ask you, Christian friend, are you living your life like that? Is that the way it is between you and Jesus? Are you giving yourself radically to Him? And are you hearing His words? And are you radically obeying His words? You know, the, the Christian life is it's not a, a meandering stroll. It is a run. It is a sprint. He says, run with endurance. Run to the Bema seat. That should be your goal. Run to the Bema seat. You know... Christianity, the biblical Christianity, is a passionate pursuit of God. It is never uh, passionless or dutiful or lukewarm. True Christianity is an all-consuming love affair with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it is. That's what biblical Christianity is. So I want to ask you, Christian friend, are you running or are you coasting? Are you running or are you meandering? Are you a whole hearter or a lukewarm? warmer. And you've got to love what God says there in Hebrews chapter uh, 12, verse 2. What is, what's the finish line for us? What does God say? What does He say? He says, run with endurance the race I've set before you. But then what does He say? What do we fix our eyes upon? Does anybody remember? Fixing our eyes upon what? Jesus. Fixing your eyes upon Jesus. He's our finish line. Jesus is our finish line. And we're supposed to fix our eyes upon Him. You know, uh, this sermon series on heaven, um, I'm going to exhort you, you know, well, I don't know if it's going to be two or four sermons. I don't know what it's going to be. Uh, but I'm going to exhort you to take the long view. And God tells us how to navigate the temporal world. Listen to what He says, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. Look not at the things which are seen, but what? What, are, what do real Christians look at? What do they concentrate on? The things that are not seen. We're looking at the eternal. We're looking at the, inter the, the eternal God. Okay? The eternal God. 
Colossians 3.2, I shared this verse with you last week. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. So I'm exhorting you to run, to set your mind uh, on heaven, to set your mind on the things above, to uh, point at the Bema seat. Just like that Olympic runner, he's pointing at that, that medal stand, that Olympic medal stand. I'm going to challenge you to uh, point to the Bema seat. I want all of your life to be pointing to the Bema seat. When you stand before your Maker, when you stand before your Savior, when you give an account, is there anything more important in life? Let me ask you. Do you have something more important on your agenda, on your calendar this week, than to get ready to stand before the living God? Do any of you have anything more important than that? Anybody? I don't think anybody would put up their hand right now. I don't think so. Listen, friends. That's what I'm trying to do in this series. I want to exhort you. I want, I want to exhort you to get ready to stand before Him. I want to exhort you to get ready to stand before Him and give an account to the Lord Jesus. I love how the message paraphrases Hebrews 12 too. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Listen to this. Who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how He did it. Because He never lost sight of where He was headed. Hey, Think about the Olympic sprinter running toward the finish line. What happens if he starts looking to the left or looking to the right? What happens if he looks behind him? What happens? Well, one, he's definitely going to lose and he's probably going to fall down or crash into one of the other runners. God says, I want you to look at the Bema seat and I want you to run. That's what God says. You fix your eyes on me, God says. Jesus says, you fix your eyes on me and you run to me. Friends, that's what our life is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be anything smaller than that, ever. I'm not saying we don't have temporal responsibilities and concerns. I'm not saying that. But our preeminent priority is to run to Jesus, is to run to Jesus. I'm going to continue in this sermon series for however long it is. I'm going to keep challenging you to emulate Jonathan Edwards. I'm going to, I'm going to share with you again that, that resolution he wrote when he was in his early 20s about... Um, about his view of heaven and how he was going to order his life for the Bema seat. Listen to what he says. Resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can. He's not consumed with happiness here. He's consumed with happiness there. Okay? And he says, With all the power, might, vigor, and vehemence, and yea, violence I am capable of, or bring myself to exert, or can think of, he says, I'm going to lay up treasures in heaven for myself. That's what God challenges uh, His children to do. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's up to you. This is your responsibility. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about your reward. I'm talking about the day you stand at the Bema seat and give an account to the Lord Jesus. You know, some of you were listening to me last week. It was, sometimes it happens. You know, sometimes it happens. And remember I told you most of you walk out and not remember anything but the word ginormous because I used the word ginormous. And, uh, but some of you were listening. And I got three really good questions from, from, from the body last week. And so I'm going to address these three questions before I get into the text, okay? First question. Was the one uh, minna guy in Luke 19, was he a believer or an unbeliever? It's a very good question. Uh, if you superficially read the text, you're not really quite sure. It leaves you somewhat wanting but here's, here's a scriptural evidence that I believe uh, 
allows us to be assured that this man is not a believer. His actions revealed his contempt for God's gift. He takes God's gift, the endowment God gave him, he sticks it in a handkerchief, and he doesn't do anything with it. He does nothing with it. He has contempt for the endowments and the gifts of God. The second thing is he has contempt for God himself. He basically calls God a thief. He basically calls God a thief. Go read the text. He says you're hard and you, uh, you reap where you don't sow. He basically calls God a thief. No true believer is going to do that. But the clincher for me, the clincher for me in that text is God calls this, uh, this uh, slave, He calls him worthless. Listen, friends, God never calls one of His children worthless. Okay? And I know you can't press the symbolism of a parable too far, but this guy, in my view... Um, no doubt about it, he is an unbeliever. The second question I got was, um, our value before God uh, is in Christ, right? But it seems like you're saying that our works uh, give us value before God. And really, again, it's a dichotomy, the dichotomy between salvation uh, uh, and the uh, rewards for our stewardship. We understand salvation is a free gift from God. We understand that. It's a sovereign free gift of grace and our works we are not saved by our works but what do our works uh, what do our works reveal does anybody know the reality of our salvation right the works are simply a fruit of our salvation we don't earn our salvation but our works authenticate the fact that we possess it um, you know God says I've called you to walk in the good works which I have prepared beforehand for you Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 so uh, this reward thing, this accountability thing, this stewardship thing is the believer's responsibility before God. That's up to you. That's up to you to take your stewardship seriously, to obey the Lord, to point toward the Bema seat, and lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's up to you. This is what God says. That is up to you. Our salvation is in Christ by faith alone. But God says, I expect you to be a good steward with the things I've given you, and that's up to you as to what your reward will be. The third question I got was, what do you mean when you say that uh, our stewardship impacts the dimensions of our eternity? What do you mean when, what does Edwards mean when he's saying, I want, I want to gain for myself as much happiness as I can in heaven? What's he saying? What, uh, what is he saying? How does he expect to increase his happiness in heaven? Simply by being a good steward. The ten men a guy maximized his stewardship, and he got uh, the he got uh, uh, ten minutes right. He was given one, he got ten. He maximized his stewardship, and what does the Lord say to him? Rule over ten cities, right? The five men a guy got a good return. He didn't get a maximum return. He got a good return, and God says, "Rule over five cities." And I want you to understand there's proportionality here, right? The ten men a guy, he's ruling over ten. The five men a guy, he's ruling over five. You're building your own eternity right now. I don't know if you've ever heard that taught, but you're building it now. Every single day you build it. We're going to talk more about building on the foundation of Jesus. And so the ten men of God, he has greater authority in the kingdom of God under the sovereign kingship of Jesus. He has greater authority, thereby greater satisfaction in serving the Lord in that position of authority. Friends, you know we're going to rule and reign under King Jesus, right? You guys know this. We'll talk more about it in the coming weeks. 
I, uh, I think I got this analogy from Jonathan Edwards, I'm not sure. And what I want to say to you is, you know, the five-minute guy, he's still full. He's still full. And the analogy is a bucket, okay? His bucket's full. Go ahead. His bucket's full, right? His bucket's full. But the 10-minute guy, his bucket's full, but what? It's bigger. Do you see? It's twice as big as the five-minute guy's bucket. They're both full, but there's greater volume and greater capacity. Does, it, does, any, does everybody get what I'm trying to say here? And then we have, a, we have a comparison shot. Go ahead. Oh, there it is. Okay. How do you all like our new visual aids? Yeah. yeah. Exciting, aren't they? Uh, okay. All right. I want you to understand. You know, I was sharing with Karen this week about these things. She said, hey, I want the biggest bucket I can get. And that's the kind of attitude a Christian needs to have. You know, you want to be a 10-minute guy. Man, you don't want to be a 5-minute guy. You want to be a 10-minute guy. You want, a, you want a, the maximum return. You want the biggest bucket you can get. Go read uh, Revelation chapter 22. There's a, the river of the water of life is flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb, and it's clear as crystal. Man, don't you want a big bucket to just scoop it up? I know I'm into metaphors here. But don't you want the biggest bucket you can have? Don't you want to be filled up with God to the uttermost? To the degree that you can, there's proportionality. Here's what I'm trying to communicate. Listen to Edwards uh, about heaven. This will blow your mind. In heaven, the holiest of saints have a greater capacity to see further into the divine perfections of God. We're going to talk more about this as we go on. Capacity. As I've been reading theologians about heaven and about the implications of stewardship, I keep seeing the same word, capacity, 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 capacity to know Him and love Him and worship Him and apprehend Him. Not that we will fully ever comprehend Him, but to apprehend His glory, to apprehend His beauty. There's something huge here and it's mysterious and I can't fully uh, articulate it. But friends, God means for us to be jazzed about heaven. And you know, I, I bet there have been months go by in your life and you've never thought about it. God means for us to think about it. And He means for us to be jazzed about heaven. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 5 first. I want to begin there just very briefly. 2 Corinthians uh, 5. And let me give you the context here. Paul in the first few verses, Paul is talking about, you know, um, basically he says, he says to live is Christ, to die is gain. And he says, we long to be home with Jesus, but we are of good courage in our earthly bodies. And then he comes down to verse 9, again, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9, he says, Therefore also we have as our ambition, whether in the body or in heaven, to be pleasing to God. Is that your ambition? Every single day. You know, it's, you know, I know you'll say, I know you say yes. You profess to be Christians. And, and, and we say, we want to say yes, but listen, I'm just asking you to examine yourself. Is that your ambition? Is that your preeminent ambition in life? Is to be ready for the Bema. That's what, that's what God's calling us to, to do. Every single day of our life. That's to be our ambition. And Paul says, you know, 
I'm not overly concerned about pleasing men. Yes, it's nice if we can please men. That's great. He says, I'm not really concerned about that. I'm concerned about the day I stand before my Lord and my Savior and my Maker, my Creator, my Redeemer, and I give an account to Him. That's what I care about. <laughs> I love this stuff. You've got to love the Apostle Paul. He's a driven man. He sets, his high, he sets his sights as high as a man can set them. He says, I want to please God. I don't want anything less than that. I want to please God. <laughs> I love it. It's beautiful. It makes his heart beat fast. This thought of pleasing Christ. You know what? If you get that in your heart, man, you, it's easy to obey Him. Even if it's hard. You get that in your mind. It's easy to obey Him. I love what Paul says in Galatians 1.10. He says, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? He says, or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be the bondservant of Jesus Christ. Don't you love that? He says, my ambition is to present myself a living sacrifice acceptable to God. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So Paul is taking the long view. He is irrepressible. He is radical. He's not worried about his next job, his next gig, his next paycheck, his next promotion. Uh, how he's being written up in the Jerusalem journal. He could care less about that, right? He's pointing at the Bema, the Bema seat, when he will stand before Jesus Christ. His whole life is about that. Look at verse 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we must all give, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what has been done, whether good or bad. We must all appear, all Christians will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It's not about sin. Sin is gone. How far has sin gone from me and you? How far has sin gone from me and you? As far as the east is from the west. This is not about sin. Jesus took care of that. This is about reward. This is about your stewardship. That's what the Bema seat is going to be about. It's what we talked about last week, the parable of the talents and the the menace. This is the accounting. This is to be recompensed for your deeds in the flesh, in the body. I like what MacArthur says about this. And I, I don't know if he's right. Um, I can't biblically support it, but I like it. Um, it sounds like something Jesus would do. You know, I don't know if it's right. But he says, this is not a spectacle for angels and other believers. When we stand at the Bema, it will be about Him and us. It will be about Jesus and you. It will be between you and Him. And I think there's an intimacy here. Not that, not that the reward that we receive won't become public, but I think there's a real deep intimacy here with Jesus Christ at the Bema Seat. And I think we receive our reward from Him in that context. And I think three things will become apparent. At least three things. You know those good deeds we're really proud of? There's probably too much pride in them. It's <laughs> probably not the gold we thought it was. Probably not the gold we thought it was. In fact, it may, be, it may be stubble. It may be wood, hay, or stubble. You know, I think we'll find out at the Bema Seat just how much our good works were laced with pride. And uh, I think that will be one thing that we will experience. I think another thing is that we'll, we'll discover that it really is true what God has been saying all along, the last shall be first. <laughs> the last shall be 
first. And I think those simple times when we just gave someone a cup of water, what does the Scripture say? Simply give someone a cup of water and King Jesus says, I tell you the truth, they will not lose their reward. And I think it's going to be those simple things that we did. Uh, it's going to be gold, gold to God. When we love and serve one another selflessly and sacrificially, I think that's gold to God. And then thirdly, I think we'll realize, you know, hey man, I didn't really have a whole lot to do with any of this. God was working through me. And I think that's a big part of the Bema seat, right? Wait, He regenerates us. Uh, he fills us with His Spirit. He teaches us. He enables us. He encourages us. He emboldens us. He's done everything. Hey, all the Christian has to do is show up and just relax and let Jesus work through him. That's really all we have to do. Hey, are you relaxed? <laughs> are you relaxed? You're just supposed to relax and let the Holy Spirit work through you. That's what it's about. All we've got to do is show up. He's doing all the heavy lifting. Oh, and then He wants to reward us for it. This is unbelievable. I mean, this is unwarranted. This is unnecessary. This is unjustifiable. This is uncalled for that God would reward us for the work He did through us. But this is what's in the heart of God. This is what is in the heart of God for His people. He's an awesome, awesome God. Now, Paul knows about the Bema seat. He knows about it. Uh, scholars believe that the raised marble platform that's still visible in Corinth is where Paul stood falsely charged against um, Galileo. And uh, he knew about the Bema seat. But guess what else they did at the Bema seat? It wasn't all judicial. Guess what else they did at the Bema seat? Does anybody know? They awarded Olympian, they, they, they awarded the Olympians their uh, wreaths, whatever they got. It was a place of reward. And this is why Paul is evoking uh, this imagery. It's not judicial in nature. It's about reward. You know that great uh, verse over in Luke 17, verse 9 and 10. You know, Jesus talks about the human master and, and, uh, and, it, and the servant. And let me just read his words. The master does not think, does not thank the servant for doing what he is commanded to do, for he is simply doing what is his duty? You should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done that which we ought to have done. That's what I just said. <laughs> We're just doing what we ought to do. Oh, but God says, I want to reward my people. He's doing it. He's doing it. He's doing all the heavy lifting. And we ought to just do it because we ought to. We ought to just love Him enough. And I know you do love Him enough. And that's enough just to serve Him. But God says, it's in my heart to reward my people. Isn't this awesome? <laughs> you know, the deeper you get into the Gospel of God, I mean, I don't know why, I've said this many times, I don't know why there's not 10,000 people in this room. I do know why. But you know, this is why men are accountable. Because God is awesome. And God is, is, God is just giving Himself to His people. And it's completely unreasonable that men have hardened their hearts against Him. Okay. Let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 real quick, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Many of you are from, very familiar with this text. You heard it uh, read earlier. And Paul is contrasting his work to that of Apollos. Uh, Paul planted. Apollos watered. Uh, that's great. And then he gets down here in verse 8 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8. And Paul says, Now he who plants and he who waters are one. 
but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. You, listen, this is not an isolated theme in the Bible. It's over and over and over and over and over again. You will be rewarded for your labor. Is there any confusion on that? Anybody have any confusion on that? We will be rewarded for our labor. Look what he says, verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. Look over at verse 16 real quick. He says, you're the temple of God. Isn't that awesome? You're the temple of God. <laughs> you are the temple of God. And I think, uh, I think there, there are two, there are de- in my view, there are two metaphors here. I think Paul's obviously talking about his work in the church and Apollos' work in the church. And some say, well, this is simply about teaching and leading the church. I don't think so. I think obviously that's there. But I think it has something to do with every individual Christian. I think the Lord's talking about how we build our lives on the foundation of Jesus and, of course, how we build the church on the foundation of Jesus. How we use our gifts in the church to build up the church. How we do that on the foundation of Jesus. But I think also it's talking about how the Christian builds his life on the foundation of Jesus. As he says there, look at verse 10. According to the grace of God which uh, has give, have been given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. Paul simply saying, I laid the foundation. Apollos is, is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds. I think, this, I think he's scooping up every believer right here. Yes, I acknowledge that Paul, the context is about uh, their work in the church, these teachers and these leaders in the church. And when I was ordained, the the pastor that that did the sermon when I was ordained, he preached this sermon right here. He preached this text about me building wisely on the body of Christ. Right? But I think it has has, uh, implication for every individual believers. Let me interject two things and we'll go through these verses real quick. Um, some, some people want to say that this Bema seed is about sins we committed after we were saved. That's not biblical. That's false. That is false. That, you can't substantiate that scripturally anywhere. Some people say that these, uh, we have to stand at the Bema seat because uh, of the sins we never remembered to confess. That's false too. You're not going to find that anywhere in scripture. Okay? I just wanted to give you a heads up on some of the false teaching that's out there. Now, this Bema seed is about uh, our rewards Look at verse 10. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds upon the foundation with, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will be made evident, for the day will show it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. Um, that's pretty simple, I think. I told the morning congregation, I really think a third grader can understand that. If you have trouble understanding it, let me know. It's pretty plain. It's pretty plain. It's pretty plain in my view. We will be judged for our stewardship before God. We will stand before Him. So let me ask you. Did you notice He said we are, the, we are the, the temple of God? It says we are the building of God. Let me ask you, Christian friend, how are you building on the foundation of Christ personally? How are you building your life? Is it wood, hay, and stubble? Or is it gold and silver and precious stones? 
Let me ask you this, a hypothetical question. If someone came to you and said, hey, money's no object. You have unlimited resources. You go build something for God. What would you build? If, if money's no object and you have unlimited resources, are you going to build with uh, wood and hay and straw? Or are you going to build with gold and silver and precious stones? Which one? Hey, that's the position you're in with God. God has saved you and God has indwelt you through the third member of the Trinity. Friends, you have, you have all the resources you need. There's not one thing that God's left undone. You have all that you need to build your life up out of gold and silver and precious stones. It's up to you. God has said, go build your life on the foundation I've laid. And I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit and I'm going to give you my Word and I'm going to encourage you and I'm going to illumine you and I'm going to embolden you. Go build. Let me ask you, Christian, how are you building? How are you building? Is it wood, hay, and stubble? Or is it gold and silver and precious stones? It's up to you. It's up to you. Isn't this awesome? It's a heavy responsibility, but it's a great joy too. It's up to us. How big do you want to build? What do you want to build for God? What do you want to build on the foundation? I love it. It's a beautiful, beautiful exhortation. Paul says, let each man be careful how he builds. So let me ask you, are, as you build, examine your life. Are you abiding in the vine? Are you allowing Jesus to flow through you? Uh, are you doing good works to merely be seen of men? Or are you doing them uh, because you love Christ and you're doing them even in secret because you love Christ? It's between you and Christ. You don't care if any man sees or if any man acknowledges. It's between you and Christ. Have you grown weary of well-doing? Have you left your first love? God says, come back. Don't grow weary of well-doing. Jesus says, come and labor as a good steward. Are you merely performing religiously or are you giving your heart fully to Jesus Christ? Are you radically believing and radically obeying the Word of God by faith? Are people asking you about the hope that is within you? You know, people need to be, people really should be asking us about that. I think Karen's got that question a couple times as she's gone through cancer looking at God. She's gone through cancer just looking at God. Are you building uh, like you really believe Hebrews 11? <laughs> like you really believe Hebrews 11.6? Without faith it is impossible to please me, God says. And then what does He say? You must not only believe that I am. What, must, what else must you believe? I reward those who come after me. Listen, do you live? You know, I, I, this is the way God got me to seminary. Romans, uh, pardon me, Hebrews 11.6. That's why I finally quit my job and went to seminary. I was scared to death. <laughs> he said, Jim, I know you believe I am, but you don't really believe I'll reward you. You, don't, you won't obey me because you don't believe that. And I, I mean, he broke me. 
He broke me. Because I had no other reason not to go. I wanted to go. I was just too scared to go. He says, you don't believe that I reward my people. He nailed me on it. Man, when he did that, it was over. It was over. And I was gone. Are you living like Hebrews 11.6 is real, that God is and God's good? Listen, listen, friends, if you really believe God is good and you believe He's a rewarder, you're going to be living your Christian faith very, very, very large. It's not going to be a small thing to you. It's not going to be incidental to your life. You're going to be living it huge. And people around you are going to be smelling God off of you. I was talking to someone earlier about that. I don't know who it was. But they're going to be smelling the aroma of God off of you. Verse 15. Let me finish up here. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss. What is God saying to us here? What is it that, what is it that we lose here? Well, it means if you're building with wood, hay, and stubble, the reward that you would have otherwise had if you had been building with gold and silver and precious stones, you will lose. You will lose it. You know, you might as well have just slept in that day because you didn't do anything of e- eternal value at all when you're building with wood, hay, and straw. No lasting value at all. And again, this is not about salvation. This is about the rewards of God at the Bema seat. So I, I felt like I had to start our series on heaven. and The, the series is going to change pretty dramatically because we're going to start talking about heaven. And I'm real intimidated. I'll confess to you. Um, but we're going to start talking a little bit about that. But I had to start at stewardship because you are building your own eternity right now. The dimensions and proportions and scope of your own eternity, you are filling those out right now based on your stewardship. This is the Word of God. You're saved. You're going to be with God forever. But He's saying, hey, you you build your own eternity. You build how big it is. You build how large it is. You build how much authority you're going to have. Under my sovereign kingship. I think it's awesome stuff, man. It's awesome stuff. Let me close with an illustration. You guys, uh, most of you have heard of Pilgrim's Progress, right? It's, I guess, the most famous Christian book other than the Bible. And you know how it opens, right? Uh, Christian's reading the Bible. And he encounters a man called, uh, named the Evangelist. And Christian, has a, he's, he's very dejected. And the Evangelist said, son, what's your problem? Christian says, well, I'm reading this book and it says that uh, after my death I have to face the judgment. And he says, I fear that this weight on my back, which he has a huge pack on his back, which is, you know, it's an allegory, a metaphor for his sin. He says, I'm afraid it will sink me lower than the grave and into hell. And the evangelist says, well, if that is your condition, then why don't you flee from the wrath to come? And, and Christian says, well, I don't really, I don't really know what to do. Says, you, know what the, you know what he says? You know what the evangelist says? He says, you see that narrow gate? Across the field. Don't you love the allegory? He says, you see the narrow gate? He says, you go through the narrow gate. And you know what happens? Anybody know what happens? What does Christian do? He says, well, maybe later. I got some stuff I got to do. Maybe I'll do that later. I'll go check that out later, but I I need to, you know, go watch the football game. Or I need to go get a, a promotion. I need to go make sure I get that raise or advance myself in, in the business. Now, what does Christian do? Boom! He starts running for the narrow gate. He takes off running for the narrow gate. <laughs> this is what I'm trying to exhort you to do. Run. Run to the narrow gate. Run the race 
of it with endurance that's set before you, fixing your eyes on Jesus, and never look back. Pilgrim, uh, uh, Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, he never looked back. And you may remember that some of his friends and family came out and they, they were calling to him as he, as he was running and they were saying, hey, come back. Don't run over there. Don't go through the narrow gate. Come back. And you remember what Christian did? He put his fingers in his ears and he just kept running. And he never looked back. Friends, this is, this is true Christianity. <laughs> this is what it's supposed to be like. I'm not saying we don't struggle and we don't fall. I'm not saying that. But when we fall, we're supposed to get back up and keep running. And that's my exhortation to you in the coming weeks. I want you to be building your life and using your gifts in the church in such a way that you are building with uh, gold and silver and precious stones. I want you to be pointing to the Bema seat. I want you to point to the Bema seat. I don't want you to point at anything less than the Bema seat. I want you to point that day you're going to stand before your Maker, your Creator, your God, your Lord, your Redeemer. And it's going to be you and Him. It's going to be beautiful and intimate. And what did we see last week? Man, as you lay the, the works out before Him and the ones that are truly gold and silver and precious stones, what's He going to say? Well done, my child. Enter into my joy. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to get this. I fear there's so many Christians who don't really understand these very clear principles. It seems to me you're telling us that we will be, we are building the dimensions of our eternity. It seems to me you're clearly telling us that we have, we have a lot to do with where we're going to rule and reign under the kingship of Jesus and, and, and how we will serve Him and, and honor Him for all eternity. And Lord, I, I think every one of us in here, I think we want to be ten, uh, ten minute guys. We want a maximum return. Lord, if, if, we've been, if we've just been meandering in our life of faith, I pray You'll convict us about that and we'll start to sprint We'll start to sprint. We'll run with all earnestness. And we'll be pointing. We'll be pointing at the Bema seat. We're not pointing at temporal goals. We're pointing at the eternal one when we stand before You. Lord God, help us to get this. I pray that we would open our hearts and minds and hear what You're saying to us and that we would pick up the challenge. Lord, we would be eager for Your return. We would be bold on the, on the day of judgment. For we have built with gold and silver and precious stones that will redound to the glory of Jesus forever. Lord, help us to get this, I pray. Help us to get this. Help us to get it, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. The earth sing to the ancients of days. Well, none can compare to your 